what is called in the Bible the judgment seat of Christ where the saints of God will stand and give an account for the deeds done in the body and receive rewards accordingly. But let us read in Revelation chapter 20 verse 11. This is identified as the white throne judgment. Hopefully there will be none of us standing here today. That will be there. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no more place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. Listen now, not according to the cross power of the blood, but according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you have made a way, Lord, that we can escape this that we have just read about. If there's a person here today, Father, who is not at peace with you, may their soul be so captured by the presence of God Lord Jesus, may you help each of us which have escaped this condemnation. May we never take it for granted. May we every day of our lives be so grateful for what you have done for us. Take your word today and speak to our hearts. May we be benefited by gathering together today. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We know the throne is white because it signifies the justice of God, the purity of God. There's only one throne because there's only one God. There's not three thrones because there's not three deities in heaven that we worship. Must have been quite overwhelming to John to be able to look into the face of this very one. And as he saw by vision and looked into his face, he knew that he had seen him before. He had walked with him on the earth. He had talked with him, ate with him, been with him many, many times. But now he sees him in a way that was totally different than he had ever saw him on the earth. No doubt he had seen different expressions on the face of the Lord Jesus, joy, crying, 
maybe even bewilderment and wondering and so on, but he'd never seen anything quite like this expression that was on his face now. Apparently the heavens and the earth had never seen anything quite like this either. Because according to verse 11, whenever they saw it, John said it this way, uh, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no more place for them. So whatever it was about his face must have been so overwhelming that an element of the heavens began to roll back. Now we're at the end of the millennium when this happens before the dawn of the eighth day. So the earth is going to be changed, the heavens are going to be changed, but it actually begins before this judgment seat and something happens in the millennium. We know the earth and all that is already under renovation. But now something happens that has nothing to do with the millennium change. But it is the look that is upon his face. And the heavens were affrighted and they rolled away. An element of the earth, whatever it was, we don't know because John did not say. But it must have been something that was so moving, so powerful that part of the heavens went one way, part of the earth went another way, and they actually fled from the face of him that sat upon the throne. Now, whatever it was, it must have been something to see. I personally hope and pray to God that I never have to see his face in this way because I want to meet him in grace and mercy, don't you? But yet it, it was something, a sublime image of power, of authority, of something that John saw. And then notice in verse 12 that he says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Now remember, the person who is on this throne is the Lord Jesus Christ. But John identifies him as God. So he was not the second person of the Godhead or a third person. He was the person of the Godhead. I saw the dead, small and great. Now here, maybe for the first time in their lives, that these are standing on an equal plane, the small and the great. Those that were rich, famous, celebrities, whatever more, kings, potentates, rulers, pharaohs, you know, whoever that it will be. But they will stand there before God. Uh, their, their fame, their celebrity status in Hollywood will mean absolutely nothing before God's throne. A king will be the same as a pauper. When Adolf Hitler stands there that day, he will be no more than the common thief that lives up an alley just trying to steal to get by from day to day. The small and great will stand before God and they will be judged and they will be rendered proper judgment according to their deeds done in their body. Notice now the reference here from which the judgment will come. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Now these are plural books in the way that John sees them in the vision. And another book was open, which was the book of life. Now notice that the Lamb's book of life is not present. Because the Lamb's book of life people have already been caught up in the rapture. They've already enjoyed the millennium. So there's no need for the Lamb's book of life to be there at all. 
There will be no Lamb's Book of Life people that are going to be judged. They have already received their reward according to the deeds done in their body, so they will not be there. But notice then John said, And another book was opened, which is the Book of Life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to the words. And, and the works. And it gives us a little insight as far as what the books will contain. The books will contain, it will be the volume of the lives of these individuals. Can you imagine the amount of books that it will be for billions and billions of the people of the earth that will stand there? Now, these are people that have missed the rapture, they have missed the millennium, and they are now being raised. And whenever they walk before God, they will have no jury, they will have no attorney that will be able to plead their cause. They will have no one to be able to stand there and say, I'll stand up for him, I'll stand for her, I'll do it. There will be no one accepted. It will be a, a judge which will be absolute, none other like it ever on the face of the earth. It will be one that is so pure, so holy, so righteous, and yet one that could understand. Now, remember, it will not be God in the sense of that great eternal one, the Father, the Spirit, but it will be God in the form of the Son, which was the humanity which lived on the earth. This is what will make the judgment so severe. It will be one who lived a life in a very common way, the way we did as a man. Now think of it, the very justice of God, knowing that Spirit God, how could Spirit God, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God which never knew sin, never knew degradation, never do anything about shortcomings, ever to be able to judge us as humans. So what does He do? He condescends in the form of the sonship as a human being, and that will be the body which will judge us. So it will be a human body that has become glorified, a human body which was tempted by women, Tempted by drinking, tempted in all points as we are, felt fear, felt anxiety, felt all kinds of human emotions. It will be a just judge. Amen. Notice it is in this that Jesus makes the reference in John 5, 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, speaking about himself. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now here the Lord Jesus divides the resurrections and show that there will be a resurrection which will be to those that will be resurrected unto eternal life. But the voice of the Son of God will be the voice that raises them both. Now can you imagine Him identifying a resurrection and calling it the resurrection of damnation. The word damnation means a sentence passed on by a judge. So there is no jury. There is no one there to appeal it. There is no appeal court. There is no appellate court anywhere. There is no supreme court. There is no judiciary above this one. His judgment will be final. It can never be repealed. It can never be reevaluated again. And his judgment will actually be so just, it will be rendered according to the deeds of the individual standing there that they have done. It will be their own life that will witness against them. 
it will not be him. Do you understand that God sends no one to hell? God sends no one to hell. They sin themselves. They fight to get there. Well, if you're going to have to fight to get to heaven or hell, I'm going to heaven. If you're going to have to fight, my goodness, you fight over roadblocks, you fight over mothers and fathers, you fight over preachers, you fight over songs, you fight over sermons. If you're going to have to fight to get one or the other, why not join us? Think about it. So the dead, small and great, all ranks, all degrees, all conditions of people in life, the rich, the famous, the celebrity, as I said, the popes that have lived down through the ages, the governors, the all types of people in great important position, yet when they stand there, no one will be catering to them. You're honorable, you're great notable, sir, so on and so on. They will be treated just like everybody else. Except when it comes to their works. Now, people can get by with many things in this life. And no doubt there's people sitting in our prison system today who do not deserve to be there because of a false witness or maybe a false identity of someone they thought it looked like that person that did the wrong. And maybe there's no doubt many, many criminals that are walking our streets today because they were able to hire a lawyer which could get them out and he found a little loophole by which he was able to convince the jury that this person should not go to jail or prison. And yet they were able to get out of it but this is one court no one will ever get out of to show the justice and the righteousness of our God all the books are going to be open now the judge will proceed from this according to the evidence remaining in the books it will be the books by which the people themselves have lived it will not be on the accusation of one standing up there. Well, he told me that she said that he done that. No, nope, there will be none of that accepted whatsoever. The evidence will be that which is written in the book. So it will be those who have lied, those who have done all types of terrible things. Every deed that they have done will be written down in the books. And there's only one way to eradicate those books, and that is to accept the atonement through the blood of the Lord Jesus. Now the difference between some of you here today that are sitting here in this place and others that are sitting here is that your books are still alive and well. They are active and they are ongoing. And your deeds are still being written in those books under a sinful nature. But the others of you that have accepted the pardon of the Lord Jesus, your books have been destroyed, annihilated by the grace of God and they exist no more in the mind of God. But the choice is entirely up to you. Or you say, what if I'm not bride? If you're not bride, you still do not have to stand before God and go to hell. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. Now also, the books of their deeds will be there, but the book of the Word of God will be there as well. Now these are part of the books that will be identified. The sinner's plea will come on deaf ears as it was. Notice in St. John twelve forty eight, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken. So every time a preacher was able to preach and grab the anointing of God and preach a sermon that touched their heart. That time will be recorded in the books. Whenever the preacher made the altar call, 
Whenever the song moved upon their heart, when at the end of the sermon and he had everybody to bow their heads, how many would like to be remembered today? Their hands slipped up. Oh, God, help me. Lord, you see my need. Oh, God, help me, Lord. I want your help. And then they walk right out that door and they do absolutely nothing about it except simply raising their hand. That time will be recorded whenever they pass the church sign and their eyes fell upon that Baptist, Methodist, Church of Christ, whatever it was, repent or perish. And they read that and thought, I need to do better. I need to change my ways. I need to be a better man. I need to be a better woman. That will be written in the book. How are they ever going to be able to refute the justice of God? They cannot. They will not be able to. So the sinners then will be judged out of those things which are written in the book. And they will also be judged according to the words of Jesus. There's one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So the dead then are going to be judged out of the irrefutable evidence which contained in the books. Notice in Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, this gives us an insight of why they will be judged. Now God of course already knows where every person before they ever even woke up, God knows the evidence that is against them. But there's another group and category there which are those that do not have eternal life yet in their possession. They will be allowed to go into eternal life on the basis of the words of the Lord Jesus because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. Lord, when did we ever see you like this? When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now this also is written in the books. They do not have eternal life. They've not been born again. But yet they will be allowed to go into eternal life on the basis of the evidence in the books. Oh my. Notice this in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day. Now conclusively Jesus uses these words over and over again. That day and the day of judgment. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name have done many wonderful works. Now I want you to notice how Jesus emphasizes this. And he reiterates it so that it would be the emphasis would be placed upon it. And the Lord, Lord, as if, what? Lord, what? What? Lord, what? What do you mean? We're not going in. Well, Lord, it's got to be written there in the book somewhere that, that I was a preacher and I cast out devils and I, I healed the sick. That's why I'm telling you, friends, I believe in miracles. I believe in signs and wonders. It is no true evidence that we are God's children because we have miracles. It is no true evidence that the preacher that you're listening to is a servant of God because God heals the sick when he prays for them. Well, come on. If he is a true servant of God, God will do that. But that within itself is not the only evidence that you look at. Jesus' words proves this to be the truth. 
Now they will stand there and they are alarmed. Now remember this one thing that I want you to understand today is that death does not change us. Whatever state that your soul is in this morning. So let's say it this way. If the sweep of death, the angel of death was allowed to move beginning here at the pulpit and move toward the back and he would move through and take every person out here in a moment of time just like that. All death would do would simply remove, renavigate our souls and put us into another realm. Death does not change you from what you currently are. So if you're a liar, you're a deceiver, you're a hypocrite, death does not give you either a positive thing or a negative thing. It's neutral. Death is neutral in the status of your soul. All it does is remove your soul from your body and usher your soul into that realm where it will be held until the time comes. So if death were to move in this building this morning, whatever you are is exactly what you will be in whichever resurrection that you would be raised. So death does not do anything for you, nor does death take away from you. It is simply a vehicle which moves and transports your soul into another realm. And when these people left earth, they thought they were right with God. So no doubt their funeral was preached and people wept and they stood up and said, Oh, brother, so-and-so done this and that and the other. I'm telling you what, he preached so many meetings and this happened and that happened. So, I mean, he left the world thinking he was ready to meet God. The people at his funeral thought he was ready to meet God. He misses the first resurrection and he walks up before the white throne. Well, he must be somewhat puzzled because he don't understand why he's there. He thought there's supposed to be a rapture. So whenever he comes up and the evidence is there, and then he tells the Lord Jesus, Lord, Lord, I, I've cast out devils in your name, and oh my, I can't believe that I'm this way. Am I to be disowned? Am I not to be allowed to go into the paradise of God? That there must be some sort of mistake. Lord, Lord, have not we done these things? And notice, it doesn't say that he prayed for one person. But Lord, have we not done many, and thy name done many wonderful works. So it wasn't just one time that this individual prayed for somebody and that was it. But there was one after another after another. And it wasn't just divine healing that transpired over a period of time. It was something that was very soon and very noticeable. And yet, notice how that this will be. Without all kinds of things that this person is saying, well, I've done this, but I want you to focus now on what they are pointing to. It's what they done, not what they accepted. I've done this, I've done that, I prayed for the sick, I cast out, ah, 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 ah. That's the devil's language. I said, that's the devil's language. Casting out devils is wonderful. Laying hand on, on the sick, it is wonderful. But none of that is going to get you in the gates, my brother, sister. Now, in Christ's name, at least let me know that, that Judas himself will be able to stand there that day and say, Lord, I cast out devils in your name. Now, remember, there's two words used for power in the, in the New Testament. Those of you that heard, the, heard me deal with it down there at the camp, youth camp in Louisiana, remember that one of them is dunamis and the other one is excusia. Excusia is a power which is delegated by authority. 
So it's like our police officers or some officer that's given authority by a superior. I want you to go down there and I want you to arrest them people and I want you to do this and do that and the other. Well, he's given an authority, a power, because of the position he holds. Judas Iscariot and the disciples were given an excusia, but they did not have dunamis, which is the power by an inherent nature, which basically is the word we get our word dynamite from. So it comes from a new birth. So it is something that is generated from an inherent nature on the inside of you. But excusia can be delegated out. Go do this in my name. Go do this in my name. You go do this in my name. And absolutely not even be born again at all. So Judas was given an excusia in Matthew chapter 10 when they come back rejoicing and oh my, the devils were subject to him and the disciples was rejoicing. Jesus said, don't rejoice if the devils are subject to you, but rather that your names are written in heaven. So Judas come back and it wasn't Peter and James and John and all them saying, man, oh wow, what miracles we saw in Judas and they said, boy, I, I didn't have no miracles. I didn't see nothing happen to me. I don't know what in the world was matter to me. Nope, Judas is right there among them shouting, jumping around. Glory to God, I cast out devils. Praise God, I healed the sick. Hallelujah, I've done this and that. You say, how could he do that, Brother Donnie? By excusing him. The Lord Jesus had given him an element of authority which was delegated from the Son of God himself. So here, this is your power. Go do this, that, and the other. But of course we know he was not allowed to be able to be born again. But neither was Peter, James, and John up to that time. So this is why Peter could cast out devils, heal the sick, and deny the Lord Jesus and turn in to be a cussing preacher. Why? Because with excusia, you can do what you're told to do, but it does has nothing to do with an inward power in you to overcome. So the excusia was given to them to cast out devils, preach the gospel, heal the sick. It was not given to them as a personal baptism of the Holy Ghost to empower them to overcome the world. That's why they had to go to Pentecost for it. Now, no doubt these people will stand there that day with, they'll have this testimony of excusia that the Lord Jesus had given to them. And they will make their plea, but it will be to no avail. Notice again in Matthew 7, 23, Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Now the word, the Greek word here, knew, is actually has further to do than just how are you, I'm Donnie, your name is what. But it actually goes into a further understanding of it as if a man knowing his wife or a man knowing a woman. So the Lord Jesus is saying back to them, I never knew you in an intimate walk. I never knew you or you studied and you you done this and that or the other, but you refused to give me your heart. You gave me your gift to preach. You gave me your ability to sing and play a guitar or a piano or write songs or whatever more, but you kept your heart for the devil. You never gave it to me. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Let me read something to you that I found very interesting. It was written by a man by the name of Arthur W. Pink. Maybe some of you know him. Some of you never heard of him. A great man that lived many years ago. He declared that never were so many millions of nominal Christians on earth as there are today. And never was there such a small percentage of real ones. 
We seriously doubt whether there has ever been a time in the history of this Christian era when there were such multitudes of deceived souls within the churches who verily believe that all is well with their souls when in fact the wrath of God abideth on them. Now this was a denominational man. Really had some insight in his day. Many of you maybe have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a preacher in the time of the Nazi movement. Had a real understanding as far as what he knew for his day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew the reality of this kind of self-delusion in the Lutheran church in Germany in his day. And cheap grace was his term for describing it. And the cost of discipleship, Bonhoeffer writes, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. We've got a lot of cheap grace preachers. We've got a lot of cheap grace churches and a lot of cheap grace people. That's right. Notice now, Bonhoeffer writes, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without the requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. But for real believers, we don't want cheap grace. We want grace, yes, but we want the grace that come with a tremendous price. And we know that grace and responsibility and election go hand in hand. We do not go and say, well, if you believe in election, you can do whatever you want to do. You don't even understand nothing about God's grace. But we understand that with election comes responsibility. With grace comes responsibility. You know, I found it myself in, in this very difficult spot of being able to divide and find the dividing line between election and human responsibility. And there is a line there somewhere. Now you find that many people will lean more toward the grace side and some will lean more toward the legal side. Myself, I desire to find that delicate balance in between election, which is God's part, and human responsibility, which is my part. What am I supposed to do? Okay? I'm called to preach. Most of y'all probably believe I'm called to preach. been doing it most of my life. But you know what? Being called to preach by itself will not be able to produce a sermon that you'll get something out of. I have a responsibility. That responsibility may take hours and hours and days and days to produce an hour and ten minute Sunday sermon for you where you can sit there and be able to take something home with you and you get up and walk out. Boy, that was really good. You have no idea. You have no clue. All the study, all the prayer, all the preparation of putting that together. So what if I just rely on my call? Well, I'm called of God. Praise God. Hundreds of you people witness that you believe I was called of God. So maybe I could do it easier. Maybe I don't need to do all this study. Maybe I don't need to look at all these scriptures and study hundreds of quotes and try to cover everything so I can know what I'm talking about. I wonder how the sermon that you would feed on, I wonder how well you would enjoy it. And I wonder how many Sunday mornings it'd be, or Wednesday nights and Saturday nights, to where you think, you know what, I, I, I'm not getting as much out of the sermon. I wonder what's wrong, Brother Donnie ain't called? No, I'm still called, but my human responsibility is let up. Well, let me just share this with you. I'm not the only one that has responsibility when it comes to church. You all do too. The song leader has a responsibility. The deacons, of course, the musicians have a responsibility. But so do you lay folks when you come in. Well, I don't do nothing. I just come in and sit down. Well, that's your own fault because I don't preach that to you. Each one of you have got something. You've got an ability. You've got something you can do to make the service. And listen, friend, we're going to answer for every one of these services. 
Not only am I going to stand before God for what I preach, you're going to stand before God as well. I know this is foreign to us message people because we don't hear it preached hardly anymore at all. Somehow we think we're just going to slip through and we're not going to answer. I'm not sure where you got that at, but that is not in the scripture or in the message. We all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to answer for what I've done. I'm going to answer for the gift that God's given me. I'm going to answer for the influence that I have on people. But I'm not the only one. So are you. So is every father sitting here tonight. So is every mother. So is every individual. You're going to answer for God placing you in an area where there was a church to go to and attend. And if you don't go and you don't like it or whatever more, you settle that between you and God. But every one of us are going to answer. Now Paul tells us the very same man that believed in election and predestination told us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So that lets me know that there's something that you and I have to do. How many still believe we have to pray? Read your Bible, listen to tapes, go to church, you know, tithe and dress and so on and so on. Of course we do. Now, we notice that the Scripture puts divine election as first and foremost because it is God's own choice. It's His choice that did, did that, not us. But there is an element of human responsibility. Moses had a responsibility. You believe that? Abraham had a responsibility. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all of those had a responsibility. Brother Branham had a responsibility. As a man, he said, I wish this message wasn't mind to bring. So that lets us know that it was not something that he himself wanted to do. But he had a responsibility. Notice before he preaches the series in February 1965. Whenever he preaches seeds not air of the shuck. Who is Melchizedek? Marriage and divorce. God's chosen place of worship. Notice the sermon that he preaches first to kick off that series at the tabernacle the Wednesday night before the meetings began on the weekend. What is it? Man running from the presence of the Lord. And it is him talking about Jonah. And he's talking about man facing responsibility. If you'll notice how he's preaching, he's preaching a great deal of that to himself. Because he's fixing to have to preach the sermon, marriage and divorce. So now he's got the responsibility. Did he want it? I guarantee as a man he didn't want it. But as a servant of God, he had to accept it. So it's the same with us. Now the people that will stand there at the white throne judgment, whenever they are brought up before the Lord, oh God. When they are brought up before the Lord and the things that are written in the books and then the Word of God is opened up, you can imagine that they are going to be contrasted with the saints of God which have lived human lives and have overcome. For everyone that will stand there, oh, I couldn't do it. I, I, I just couldn't do it. I, I tried. I tried to go to church and I tried to do this and that. Look, friend, God told Cain, there's not a person in this building this morning that is a hybrid mongrel the way Cain was. Cain was half animal and half human. And God told Cain, if you do well, you will be accepted. If you want to be accepted, do what your brother done and I'll accept you. The prophet of God said God loved Cain and he went after him. If you want to use a cop out while well, I'm not bride, the same thing it required of me is required of bride. Cain wasn't bride. You imagine if Cain would have simply copied his brother out of obedience to the word of God, that God would made an allocation and an allotment of grace for Cain? If you want to go to hell, my friend, you are choosing it. 
If you want to be lost, you want to. Well, I'm not bright. I can't live right. Well, maybe you're not bright. Do as we do. Worship as we worship. Amen. Amen. And God will accept you. God knew Cain couldn't do it like Abel. I hope this don't stagger you, but God was willing to make an exception. If he doesn't, there'll be no foolish virgins. God knows they're not bride. God knows they never have that same thing that bride will. But God said, I want you to be saved so much. Whosoever will, let them come. Let them come and take of the water of life. Why will the Lord Jesus need books to consider punishment? As there are degrees in heaven and degrees of rewards in heaven, so are there degrees of punishment in the lake of fire. Some may burn for hundreds of years. Some may burn for thousands. I found a quote this morning where the prophet said, Some may burn for millions. Now I know it's hard for our minds to imagine a place like this. Imagination is as close as I want to get, to be honest with you. As I spoke to you last night on this, when Jesus refers to this fire and brimstone and burning lake, it is the Greek word Gehenna, which was the valley of Hinnom and the southern part right below Jerusalem. It's where they burnt their trash, their garbage and dead animals, and they would take and throw them in this. So when Jesus preaches this in the New Testament, The believers and the people there as well would have understood when Jesus said Gehenna. They would have understood that he meant a burning garbage heap. So Jesus was telling them for those who fail to become born again, there is a Gehenna that awaits them. Now notice John goes on to say in verse 12, I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. So their destiny is already determined before they ever walk up before the judge. But the degrees of punishment are yet to be rendered. So each lost soul. Each lost soul will be rendered an appropriate amount of time in the lake which burns with fire and sulfur. When the prophet was a 14-year-old boy and he got shot with a shotgun and he bled out his blood out of his body and they thought that he was dying and he felt himself going down, down, and he was lost. 
And he describes it in souls in prison, things that ought to be several places. Things that ought to be, it's awful really. The way he describes it. And the people there laughing. They're laughing. As he's describing. And he said, friend, you may think it's funny now. And when he describes it, he says, a burning flame would be a pleasure. A burning flame. Because it was in a place to where his soul was falling and falling and he was sick. Sick feeling and screamed out for daddy, but there was no daddy there. Screamed out for mama, but there was no mama there. Screamed out to God, but there was no God there. Now this was only a temporary holding place for the soul. So death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Now if, if what he experiences, experienced rather was so horrible, that he wanted no one to go there. Can you imagine what the second death will be? A burning lake of fire and brimstone. Now we're from, unfamiliar of course with the word brimstone. But it is our modern day term sulfur. When it is released, when it's burned it releases this noxious flames. Which of course can poison you and kill you. But there your body and your soul merged together at the second resurrection will be allowed to suffer this horrible place of torment. Notice in Matthew 10, 14 how that the degrees, Jesus sets it forth here. Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words. Now these are preachers that are sent to preach the word. When you depart out of that house or city, Shake off the dust off of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that city. Now that's how God looks at people turning down God call, God sent preachers. So there are people in this message who ridicule like that and make fun of the fivefold ministry. It will be more tolerable for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah than some of these people who say they believe this message. Think of it, friends. You think what an age that we're living in when people are so deceived and they think they can rally around Brother Branham and scream, the tape's this, the tape's that, the tape's something else. And many of them are as lost as Satan himself. Because they deny the very word of God that that prophet came to restore. Screaming his name the whole time they're doing it. Oh my. Notice in Matthew chapter 11 verse 21. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon. Now that does not mean the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah are going to go in. No more than the inhabitants of Chorazin or the inhabitants of Tyre and Sidon. But there will be a degree of punishment. Can you imagine? A person who refuses a God-called, God-sent, Holy Ghost-filled preacher to preach the word. That a homosexual, a pervert, that will raise up out of Sodom 
which was destroyed thousands of years ago, their degree of punishment will be less than some of these people around this message who ridicule the fivefold ministry. A sodomite straight from the gates of Sodom will spend less time in the lake of fire than these people who hate preachers. God have mercy. I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou Capernaum, which art exalted into heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable. Hey friends, this is the judge himself. He ought to know. He's giving us a glimpse, Brother Skip, of what's going to happen on the day of judgment. There will be people who will be punished less. Can you imagine? Sodom and Gomorrah was so horrible, so horrible that God destroyed it in the five cities that it laid around it. And yet God said it will be more tolerable. Their judgment will be less severe than some of you who have seen me heal the sick and raise the dead and preach the truth. You imagine Caiaphas standing there, Annas and the high priest of my, and the great big long religious robes, and this man's crazy. Why, well, he's a nut. One day Caiaphas will stand before him, and the words of the Lord Jesus will be reiterated to him. Caiaphas, remember what I told you. I confine you to punishment longer, more severe. And a pervert out of sight. And come on. Friends, this is nothing to play with. Notice Jesus gives us another parable. It is of the servants which are given portions of the kingdom to be given out to the people. But and if that servant shall say in his heart, My Lord Deleus is coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants. Now these are people in charge, such as preachers and so on. Beat the men servants and the maidens, and to eat and drink, and to be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him at an hour, when he's not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes but he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes so you see knowing more is wonderful if you do with it the right thing Now, we know more than the Baptists, we know more than the Methodists, and we brag about it and stick our chest out and look down our nose at them. It'll only be to our advantage if we obey it. You see, the portion that will be given to the one who knew better and yet chose to do it. Now, what's the, the degree of punishment? 
The man who was beaten because he didn't know and he, you know, he disobeyed or he was out of ignorance. He was beaten with few stripes, but who, to whom much soever much is given shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. Message people, may I speak to you today as honestly and sincerely as I know how as a servant of God. Don't let the impartation of divine light of God be a witness against us. But may the things that we so herald and talk about and are so proud of, let those things change us and make us to be the people of God that God wants it to be. If not, it will be to our detriment. Were there ever a people so blessed as the children of Israel? Were there ever a people in the Old Testament that had the blessing of God upon their heritage and giving them a land that they did not have to even work for? The mercy of God calling them a, a small people, a little people, and yet God gave them such great wonderful things. Oh, but when they backslid and got away from God, they was worse than the Philistines. They were worse than the Amorites. You watch a person that leaves this message and you watch them turn and go to the world. They're a worse hog than these hogs out here that never even heard the truth. You watch their language. You watch how they live. You know it's the truth. You might as well say amen. They turn. Why? Because they left this glorious light. And yet many of them out there, they don't know such stuff as that. And it will be held against them at the day of judgment. Oh, Lord Jesus. This breaks my heart to say these things to you today. Luke 19, 11, Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, speaking to Pilate, except it be given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Now we say, well, sin, sin, there ain't no difference. Oh, but in the eyes of God, there are greater sins than others. Greater sin. So the Jews will be more guilty at the day of judgment than Pontius Pilate. Himself. The Romans who beat him, the Romans who did all that they did, they were following orders. But the ones that will burn in hell the longer will be the Jews who raised their false accusation. He said he'd tear down the temple and build it three days. He said this, he said that. The other one, you studied their law, they broke, I don't know how many, you don't remember now to my mind, how many of their own laws in the way you're not even supposed to judge a man after dark. Not even supposed to judge a man without so many witnesses. Not even supposed to judge a man without the full order, the Sanhedrin. One law after another, after another, after another, they broke in order to kill the Lord Jesus. You imagine when they stand before him that day and those laws are laid before them. Let's move on a bit, can we? Have a little more time? You didn't too willingly give it to me. I don't know if you've ever thought of this before, but notice this in Revelation 20, 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Literally of the sea. Now I wonder how many tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands that the sea has actually claimed. Whether in naval battles or in commerce ships or as the Titanic and pleasure boats 
or tsunamis who come in and take the people away. I want you to notice how John sees this, that death is giving up all of her claim. And even though their souls are in another realm, their bodies must be joined to their souls. So God beckons to the sea to give up all their dead. How many a sailor has been thrown over the side of a ship? How many have been killed that would have been in the Navy or planes that crashed, that drowned? And yet God is now beckoning the sea. And John said the sea gave up the dead which were in it. One day out of the Red Sea will come the Egyptians. You imagine as the voice of the Son of God beckons, the dead Egyptians will raise up, stand up, Brother Randy, right out of the Red Sea. They will stand upon their feet and walk out at the bidding of the voice of our Master. Those who have died in naval battleships, as I said, those who have died in submarines, those who have died as a plane crash, millions, no doubt, over the years, that will come together of land and sea as well. Those who have been taken away, those who in one-tenth of the earth, a chunk, three to four hundred miles wide, 1,500 miles long or so will drop 40 miles deep and the tidal waves will shoot them back to Kentucky and drop. Oh, Lord God, when Los Angeles breaks away. I read just this week that the geologists and many of the scientists are terrified because of the drought in California. Because they're measuring it. And California sinking, dropping, sinking, dropping. Because they're pumping out the water table. And leaving great cavities in the earth. And by removing the water, the land mass is dropping down. And the prophet said millions will die at one time. And the Lord Jesus will speak. And the Pacific will spit out the bodies of the disaster of the oncoming earthquake. Lord Jesus, you imagine the Andaluvian destruction when they laughed and ridiculed this peculiar man and his strange message. Building this boat. When there's no water, nowhere in sight. How in the world are you ever going to move that boat? He don't have no trailer. He ain't got enough oxen to ever pull it. He said, that's the least of my worries. God will bring the water to me. You imagine as those people. And when Jesus speaks, the Andaluvian water, the dead will give up in the sea. It must have been such a number of people that John mentions the sea by name. That, of course, will curtail all the seas and the oceans of the earth. God personifies this death. Watch. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell. 
The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell. So the dead have taken on the identity of where they are. Death. The dead are in death. Why aren't you there? Because you're alive. You're alive because you have met life. They are in death and dead because death is the only thing they know, eternal separation from the presence of God. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Now as I mentioned to you just briefly there last night that there's a couple of words in the New Testament used for hell. Tartaros, also Hades, identified as the grave and hell. You know, the Old Testament is very vague on that they didn't really understand where he was. David, by prophetic utterance, said, Thou will not leave my soul in hell. David probably didn't even know what it was, where it was, but yet signifying the Lord Jesus. But God knew that there would be this place necessary in order to contain the souls of the dead. Where it is, I don't know, don't have no desire to. But yet, there they go. They die every, every few moments, someone leaving the earth. Those that are not prepared going to this holding place, similar to what the prophet must have seen it in that fifth dimension. A dimensional travel is something we don't understand anything about. We know in the, in the God created the seven dimensions, light, matter, time, science, where the unbeliever goes, where the believer goes, and where God is. And yet dimensions are not measured by miles. It'd be a realm that is much faster, different than this one. The prophet talked about himself laying there in his body, and he looked back, and his body was laying on the bed, and he said he wasn't 20 feet from where his body was. But yet he'd been called up into the sixth dimension. So from where he was, he was only 20 feet from where his body was. It's here, friends. So that sixth dimension, it was so close that he could look and see his body there on the bed. Then when these people go, their souls separated from their body. But now we come to the spot to where God said, Death, you are no longer needed. Hell, you are no longer needed. I will cast you into the lake of fire and I will destroy you. So all the dead come out of the sea. All the dead come out of hell. All the dead come out of the graves. Then God wraps and bundles up death and hell and said, away with you. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Or the destruction of the body and the soul. In the flaming pit. Before the new order of things can commence into the eighth day, sin must be given the final blow. God will deal with every sinner. God will deal with every fallen angel and with Satan himself. Notice in the Sumerian church age, the first death is the separating from our loved ones. We'll go into the presence of God, but never out of his presence. Now, if there's a second death, then it has to be the death of the soul. 
Then he that overcomes the world or overcomes the things of the world has eternal life and shall not be touched by the second death. Then in that day, finally, he'll completely separate and be no more. That's what the Bible says. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And they that overcome in these church ages here shall not be hurt by the second death. Praise God. The body dies first, the soul dies next, and it will be no more. Now, do you believe that's what the Bible said that? The Bible said, blessed is he that hath part, oh my, no part in the second death. See, you won't be destroyed by the second death. The first is a physical. The second is a spiritual death when everything is finished. The soul that sinneth, that soul shall die. You'll be punished for your sins, maybe through hundreds of years or thousands. Lord, have mercy. But there can't be an eternal hell. Call me crazy, call me whatever you want. I thank God there is no such a thing as an eternal hell. Imagine a 16-year-old boy gets out and gets his driver's license. He gets out and gets drunk tonight. Goes has his first big time out driving, partying with his buddies. Runs off the road, hits a tree. Dies lost. Stands before God is judged. You're going to tell me that boy is going to be punished for the same thing as Adolf Hitler? You're telling me he's going to be punished for the same thing as Eichmann? You're telling me he's going to be punished for a pope who will stand up there and damn people's souls to hell? You're telling me he's going to be punished for the same amount of time for a preacher that turns here in Acts 2.38 and reads on the Word of God about being baptized in the name of Jesus and walks right up there and preaches in another way? I thank God there is justice. You believe what you want. You believe whatever you want. And I know you're hoping this is the last service on this, and I hope it is too. But let me tell you something. I see justice. I see judgment. But I also see the love of God in the way that He will not cause people to serve in an endless eternity for sins that they have committed in the stream of time. It would be unjust, friends. So our God will one day wrap all of this up. But Brother Donnie, what will we think about it? You won't be thinking nothing about it. Your thoughts will not be in the land of the abyss. You will not be, oh my, living upon this earth in a new body, in a new heaven, and a new earth. Worried about your loved ones in hell. He will wipe that from your existence. But what if my mama don't make it? What if my, one of my children don't make it? The hand of God will so erase that from you. It will be as if though they were never your mama. They were never your daddy. They were never your son or your daughter. He will consummate the memory from your mind. And it will be finished. The Bible says even the very thoughts of the wicked. There can't be an eternal hell because the Bible said hell was created. How can it be created and be eternal? The Bible said hell was created for the devil and his angels. And if it was created, it can't be eternal because eternal, anything eternal 
Well, glory to God. Never had a beginning or had an end. That's how we can never die. Because we was always. We're a part of God. The offspring of God. He's the only thing that eternal there is. Amen. You can no more die than God can die. Because you're eternal with Him. Amen. Let me close with verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. A sentimental kind of humanistic religion, especially in this day. Don't want to preach hell. Don't want to believe in hell. Don't want to believe that nobody's even going to go to it. Somehow they want to believe that God will save everybody in spite of themselves that is a doctrine of hell because people cannot comprehend the grace of god they look in at a loving faithful god and they cannot in their mind comprehend the grace of god it's because they don't understand the consequence of sin and that god is letting every one of us make our choice god's not forcing you to open oh, the door i don't want to go to hell god's going to make me he is no such a thing if you believe that you believe a lie well, what if I'm not bad? What if you're not? Esau was not bad. Cain was not bad. And yet God loved Cain and went after him. Friends, that excuse will not hold no water. Matthew 18, 8, Wherefore thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed. Rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. This is the same man who said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Very same man said this. If I now offend thee, pluck it out. Cast it from thee. Look, friends. If you cannot have a smartphone without getting on websites that you don't belong to, then get rid of it. Get you a dumb phone that'll match your head. Come on! If you can't handle the internet in your house, get rid of it. Well, praise the Lord. I'd rather go into, into heaven without a smartphone than go into hell with all my head filled with a bunch of images that I should have never been looking at. Preach, Brother Donnie. Look, if you can't help, well, what would everybody think? I don't care what everybody thinks. I want to go to heaven. I want to be saved. I want to be right. Notice Matthew 23, 33, you serpents. Oh my goodness. This is the loving Savior. You serpents, you generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Now I would imagine whenever the disciples looked at him and all the, oh, the fierceness and the anger. It was not human anger now. It was not madness of a, of a human, but divine it must have been something what John saw. And when the earth saw it, and the heavens. Let's read this and we'll close. 
Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The devil and his angels sinned before the foundation of the world. And God created this place for them. But it's only a creation in time. And one day it will cease to exist. And no doubt, the last being that will be destroyed will be Satan himself. And when God determines the justice of God has been met, this being, he will. God said, I will destroy thee, O covering cherub. I will lay thee before kings, and they that look upon thee shall see thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the nations to tremble? One day he will be destroyed. Let's stand. Since I really don't want to preach on this again, I'm going to read you a couple more quotes, okay? Come on now, Brother Daniel. God's provided way in Connorsville. When you reject Jesus Christ, the Savior, and God, you don't have to be judged. You're already judged. Your attitude toward God's provided way has judged you. It's not necessary that any man would go to hell. And God don't send no one to hell. You send yourself to hell. God's done everything in the world He can to keep you from going to hell. And yet, you determine to go to hell. You fight over every barricade God puts in your way. You just go right on over. I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in this. You go headlong. There's a red line here in the city. If it turns red and green, that tells you when you can stop and go. If you run it, well, don't blame the city. They put the light up for your protection. But if you run through it, that's up to you. You brought on your own judgment. Again, he said, hell was not made for people. Hell was created for the devil and his angels, not for human beings. But if you go, it's because you willfully, listen, you willfully and want to go. You can't go easy. You have to fight your way into it. Did you know that? You can't go to hell easy. You have to fight your way to it. And people say it's too hard to live right. Oh, I can't live, I can't do this too hard. I don't I can't walk away. I can't do it. It's too hard. It's too hard. This is the hard way. This is the hard way. And the light of Calvary and the supreme price paid. No lost sinner will ever be able to point her face hand in the face of God and say you are unjust because he went beyond the Lamb's book of life his own family diary and he wrote names over in the book of life and he said I'll make a provision for them and he said whosoever will let them come and take of the water of life freely 
Praise God. Let's bow our heads together if you would. Lord Jesus. Heavenly Fathers, we come to the close of this service. Lord, I know it creates an atmosphere of alarm. I'm sure every sincere person here today is looking down in their heart, God, is there anything in my life? Is there anything that hinders me? Is there anything in my way? We know how that works. Generally, those who don't need to repent are the ones who question themselves and the one who needs to repent think they're all right. That's the way it was with Judas. The disciples questioned themselves before they questioned him. Lord Jesus, we lay our lives open before you. We give you the key to every door in our heart. We don't want to hold chains around this one. That one said, you stay out of there. You mind your own business. But we give you the key to every avenue of our lives. Our jobs, our homes, whatever we have. Help us, Lord, that everything we do can please you. If there's a one here today who doesn't know you, maybe they're not bride. But they can still be saved if they want to be saved. The scripture tells us, Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If thou believe with thine heart that God has raised him from the dead and confessed with thy mouth, shalt thou shalt be saved. They will overstep that. They will fight their way over the top of these scriptures to go to hell. Lord, thank you for beckoning, dealing with our hearts. Those of us who've already crossed over the line into the new land, by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for these services as well. Lord, I pray we'll intensify the burden in our hearts to want to cry out for our loved ones that are lost. Lord, we've got enough sense to know we can't make them bride just by praying. We can't make them elect. Abraham didn't pray that Lot would be elect. He prayed he'd be saved. And because of Abraham's prayer, Lot and his two daughters were spared the fire of Sodom. So, Lord Jesus, we pray for our loved ones. To be honest, Lord, as I've sat studying the last several weeks on this, and I know I have a different imagination, a figurative imagination, and when I preach these things, it's awful for me, Lord, because when I preach it, I see it in my, my mind. And, when I preach the cross, I see the blood, I see the pain. It, it torments me when I preach it. When I preach hell, I don't know what these two services have done to me. I've seen flames, I've seen people's face. My gift is designed that way and made that way with such dramatic ways that it... Lord, it's awful. But as I've sat thinking about it, Father... I couldn't think of one mortal that I wanted to see go there. Lord, I like all these people here. I've had people that hate me and run me down and told lies on me and this and that and the other. And as I thought about different people and I thought about this place of torment, I couldn't think of anything that anyone had ever done that would, just by my view, I would want to go to such a place. But God, I realize it's not my choice. It's theirs. 
I want to thank you for the opportunity that you've given us, Lord, that we can be able to share in your life. Speak to us. Deal with each of us according to our capacity and our allotment in the election of God. Thank you, Lord. With every head bad, I wonder, you saints of God, you that love the Lord Jesus and feel like that you're in the land of what God wants you to be, you'd just like to be remembered today for strength and courage in your journey. I'm not praying now that you're lost or that you need the Holy Ghost, but you just need strength and courage. May God reignite the passion in your soul and the burden to be able to try to talk to your loved ones, pray for them. Pray that God will help them. Amen. God bless you. Would there be anyone here today that don't feel like you're quite ready to meet the Lord? And there's things in your life and death were to strike you. You just feel like there's things you need to make right. Any, anyone else? God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Anyone who needs the Holy Ghost, you feel like you don't have the Holy Ghost. You love the Lord and you're a believer, but you're not truly, truly filled with the Spirit of God. Anyone? God bless you. Amen. Would you do me a favor? Would you lay your hands on that person standing there? Brothers, if it's a sister standing in there, you wouldn't feel comfortable in doing so. You can move if you'd like or, or just, just stand there where you are. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as we have our hands one upon the other, Lord, you know the need of every individual. You saw, Lord, the saints need strength, they need courage. Lord, for some of them, they needed the burden re reignited, the passion, the fire for their loved ones. Lord, others of them needed the Holy Ghost. Others, Lord, needed, needed some things worked out in their life between you and them. Lord, may every individual, if they get nothing more out of this service today than this simple thought, may they realize, Father, they do not have to go to hell. If they go, they will fight their way to get there. May they realize if they're not bright, if they're not elect, that has nothing to do with it. If they want to go to heaven, there is a way that has been made for them to go. Praise God. Lord Jesus, may you minister to every person here today. Not only the visible audience, but the invisible of those who are streaming, those who go back and archive. Father God, in the name of Jesus, may the Spirit of God deal with every person. Help us, Lord. Lord, it's awful. This is what's facing the world. And they're coming closer to it every day. And yet, Lord, they're getting out and just drunk and having big parties and having big times and going on as if, though, Lord, nothing's going to happen. The bombs, no doubt, are already hanging there in the hangars in Russia with our name written on it. The earth is moving together, Lord, with the San Andreas Fault and all the things are moving together for the signs of the times. But Lord, if the earth is getting together and all the chemists are coming together with their hydrogen bombs and whatever more, truly there must be a people on the earth that's getting ready for a rapture, Lord God. Father, we have this promise, oh Jesus. You told us in your word, pray you therefore always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. I trust we have found favor in your eyes, O oh, blessed God, when you slipped that wedding band of predestinated unmerited grace on our hand before the foundation of the world. We will not be here, Lord, when those things start happening. 
Not only that, but these passages of Scripture that we've read of that white throne judgment, the most dreaded thing that man could happen. Lord, for the tribulation, that's going to be awful, but really that's mild compared to the white throne. All the beasts can do is kill people and they'll be gone. Take their life, that's it. The prophet told us, don't fear him in quoting your words. Don't fear him that can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing together Amazing Grace, Harry. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. our hands and sing praise God praise God praise God praise God friends if you pass from death unto life you'll not be there before that white throne God's mercy has made a way you will not come in the condemnation thank you Jesus
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amazing grace. Let's sing it before we go. Shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that with me now. I shall
Hello.